Welcome back to Community Voices. I'm co-host Randy Eccles, and today, an event you may have missed, the Citizens Club of Springfield talks about what's happening with the legislature that affects Springfield with our representative, Senator Doris Turner, and State Rep Mike Coffey. Joyce Narduli will be moderating, but first, let's hear the full introductions from host Kent Redfield. Today our program is a conversation with two state legislators who represent the Springfield area in the General Assembly, State Senator Doris Turner and State Representative Mike Coffey. Joyce Narduli will moderate the discussion. Joyce is a member of the Board of Governors of the Citizens Club. She's been involved with state government for more than 40 years, representing professional and business associations before the legislature. She is currently the principal of a government relations firm. In addition to professional activities, Joyce had a, a long had a presence in, Spring, in the Springfield community through her service to civic and community organizations and with UIS and U of I alumni groups. I will now turn the program over to Joyce, who will introduce our guests and begin the conversation. I don't think our guests need a lot of introduction. I think we all pretty much know who they are, and they, they can introduce themselves as we go. So we're going to just get started. We'd like to ask you both to please take five minutes to talk about what it's like to be a legislator representing Springfield and Central Illinois in the state legislature, and then tell us why you decided to run for your current office, and what do you like most and least about the job? Hello, everybody. I'm State Representative Mike Coffey. One, I wasn't elected to the position. I was appointed to the position. I absolutely love being the state rep from the 95th district. One of the main reasons I love it is it's a great district. It's my hometown. Five generations of my family live in Springfield. Hopefully we're going to have a six because my daughter's going to have a baby here soon. So I'm trying to get them to move back home. Quite honestly, I never thought that I was going to be a state representative. Hadn't really had any plans. As many of you know, I think the last time I was here, I ran for mayor, was on this stage. I tried to get appointed to the position before and they appointed Mike Murphy. So I had pretty much given up hope thinking that in Springfield, these spots never come open. Well, when Tim Butler decided to step down, I once again put my name in the hat. I was very fortunate to have the Sangamon County Republican Organization select me for this position. I'm extremely excited because it wasn't something. A year ago today, I had no idea that I would be a state representative, didn't have any plans to be the state representative. Couldn't be more excited. The legislature, it's great. There's a lot of great people. It's really awe-inspiring when you walk into the chamber and you look, you, you think that Abraham Lincoln was a state representative from this area. You look up and his portrait's there. There's a lot of reverence. That, that would be the stuff that I love most about it. There's there's things that I don't like. It's the time. I didn't realize that time didn't mean anything in the legislature. First day I went in there, I'm going to be there at 11 o'clock, so I bought a new suit. I got my cufflinks, American flag. Yeah. Looked very nice. I was real excited. I got in there. You know, of course, I get there about 1045 and I look around and I'm the only one in there. I'm like, oh no, I'm an idiot. They must be caucusing or something. Maybe they say 11, you caucus. You know, I've never been to a caucus. I don't even know what a caucus is, to be honest with you. So I'm sitting there and about 11 o'clock, one person in there. Finally, I sheepishly go up and say, hey, I'm new here. I just got appointed. I probably don't know what I'm doing, but you know, I thought we were starting. Well, they go, well, yeah, 11, but we probably won't start till 12 or 12.15. I go, what? Oh, yeah, they just come in when they want all that. So I sat there for an hour and 15 minutes. We started at 12.15. So I cannot stand the time uh, situation. So that would be the one thing that I really, really dislike. Other than that, I'll let Senator Turner take it over. I will tell you that 
Representing the 48th District in the Illinois State Senate is really the honor of my life. And I'm not saying that just, you know, because it sounds like something smart to say. I really, really mean it. I have uh, lived in Springfield all my life, grew up here. And when I was a kid, every Saturday I would take the bus and go downtown and go to the YWCA. Those of you know there was a YWCA. I would then go to B&Z Bakery and get the little tea cakes and walk around and I would make my way past the Capitol. I didn't really know what happened there, but I knew that this was such a daunting building, something important, exciting was happening there. And I always said that I wanted to work in that building one day. And so many years ago, when I was probably two years old, I was a legislative assistant in the Capitol for State Senator Emil Jones Jr., who went on to be Senate President, and then to come back as a state senator is just really amazing. Like Representative Coffee, something that I never imagined would happen in my lifetime. Long before I ever thought about being an elected anything, I began my advocacy with teen mothers around education. That has really continued with I have a strong working relationship with District 186. I really believe that education is the foundation on which we build community. And if you look at legislation that I've advanced through the General Assembly, there's an educational theme that runs through almost every piece of it. I began volunteering for other campaigns and then finally ran for county board, spent 10 years on the county board, then went to the city council, nine and a half years on the city council, and then similar to Representative coffee, a vacancy presented itself, threw my hat in the ring, and February the 6th, 2021, I was appointed to the seat, then had to run for it in November, and was very fortunate and blessed to be elected. There is a real difference between being appointed, because when you're appointed, there's, you know, six county chairs got together and said, you know, you're the right person for the job. But to actually go through an election and put yourself up to the voters of the entire district and have them choose you is really very special. It really is. And, and I don't take that lightly. I get up every day working as hard as I possibly can to let those voters know that they made the right choice. That's something that really drives me. What do I like best about it? I really feel like I've been able to get a lot of really good things done for the district and for the people in the district. I think that one of the things that I'm very diligent about is constituent service, getting information out and putting myself in a position so that people can talk to me and tell me what's important for them, then taking that back to the General Assembly and hopefully putting it into some type of legislation or some type of opportunity to, to move that forward. A lot of what happens might not necessarily be a piece of legislation that people are interested in. Sometimes it's just the ability to have someone help them navigate through a system. So I think that that's an extremely important part of the job. What do I like least about it? not being able to get done everything that I want that I want to get done. People really feel like if you're an elect, you know, you can just do things. My mother told me a long time ago when I used to be fussing about stuff, she'd say, everybody has a boss. Everybody has a boss, <laughs> even in the General Assembly. There's some things that we can do, some things that we just can't get done for a lot of different reasons. But it doesn't mean that you stop trying, but that's one of the things that really bothers me, just not being able to do everything that I would like to do for my constituents. It seems most people talk about bipartisanship 
and what they really mean is getting the other party to agree with them. So Senator Turner, as a Democrat, what do you see as a positive about the Republican Party and Representative Coffey? What kind of positive things can you point to that are being done by Democrats? I am a huge fan of bipartisanship. Everybody knows that I am a fierce partisan Democrat. I was the Democratic County Chairman of Sangamon County for 10 years, so I was a strong advocate for Democrats and Democrat ideals and values. I also recognize there is a time for the partisanship, but then there's also a time for governing. When you move into governing, that's when you really have to put that partisanship in your pocket, understand how you work with individuals from the other party. When I was elected to the Sangamon County Board, 29 county board members, when I came in, there were five Democrats. And I was able to get a lot of things done for my district because I recognized you have to work with others in order to get things done. That has kind of followed me from the city council then to the state senate. 99% of the things that happen are done on a bipartisan basis. It's unfortunate that you hear about the 1% of things that gin up a lot of controversy. Bipartisanship is extremely important. What do I like about Republicans? When you run for election, get elected, and go into a body, no matter if it's on the county, city, or state level, you want to get things done for your constituents. Republicans want to get things done for their constituents. Democrats want to get things done for their constituents. Sometimes we just have to figure out how we meet in the middle and have that happen. Everybody wants to do that. What I like about is the people, and that's one of the reasons that I said that I should get the spot here when I spoke to the Republican Party. You know, I think Ann Williams, Nick Smith, Jay Hoffman, Jamie Andrade, all Democrats, all really great people, Anthony DeLuca. I mean, you can go on and on about the people in the chamber. They're all very, very nice people. They they care about the state. They care about issues that are important to them. Bipartisanship's important, especially when you're Republican and you're in the gross mind minority and they don't really have to talk to you if they don't want to. So I have to be very bipartisan. If you concentrate on issues that we can all agree on, whether you're Republican or Democrat, 80% of the issues we're going to agree on. If you focus on those and what can we do to help our community and all that, with Senator Turner, she's been very helpful to me. I talk to her whenever we have issues that concern our community. If you stick to issues that you know uh, and you have common goals and common objectives, you look at it from that standpoint. You can take whatever perspective you want. If you want to take an adversarial perspective, you can. I don't recommend it because I don't think it gets you anywhere in a body of that size. The people are nice. I was fortunate and one of the advantages that I have as a freshman legislator, I've got many of the young legislators coming to me going, well, how do you know them? How do you know them? I go, well, I live in Springfield, Illinois. I said, you guys live up in Chicago. You think you're real cool, but down here we know everybody, <laughs> which is the truth. And I said, being in the business that I'm in, being in the restaurant business, all that, I've known them as customers, so I know them as friends, so I've known them on a social level. That helps me a lot because when I'm going to talk to them, it's not the first time I've ever met them. I've met them in a social atmosphere. I've got a big advantage from that standpoint. Speaking of Springfield, Illinois, what's the biggest obstacle to getting things done in Springfield? Is it regional? Is it partisan? Or is it ideological differences? Senator Turner? What Representative Coffey said a few minutes ago is really important. It's relationships. I spoke to a leadership class a couple of weeks ago, and what I told them is that there's two things that are going to be important to you for the 
whole rest of your life. One of them is your word. What you say you're going to do, you do it. If you can't do it, then you circle back and you talk about it. It's your word. And the second thing is relationships. You will always be guided by those relationships that you have, and relationships are extremely important. You talk about getting things done in Springfield. Those are the two things that I value a lot, and I think that they have definitely served me well. When a lot of people think that everything is driven by Chicago, that's that's kind of the mantra that is always out there, the big Chicago boogeyman. It's the Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. We all have to work together. It's all about making sure that you are a very strong advocate for your community that moves things along and, and gets and gets things done. I was able to pass through a, a piece of legislation in the General Assembly, in the Senate rather, that moved over to the House. So Representative Coffee is on you now. Related to Springfield High School, being able for them to continue some construction that they're working on over there. That was definitely a Springfield issue. I was able to make my point, work with my colleagues, rely on those relationships, and was able to pass it out with all of the Democrats and six Republicans getting it out, again, on a bipartisan basis. For me, I think that's the important piece of it. I think the biggest obstacles whether it be in the state of Illinois across the country, is the gerrymandering of the districts. In the state of Illinois, the Democrats have gerrymandered us, but there's other states where the Republicans have done it. And the problem with that becomes that we get extremes on both sides of the party, and they end up driving an agenda. That That's one thing that if we can ever change, that would really save the country. I think it would make the country much, much better. The other thing is it, the very top-down, it's a heavy leadership-driven. They have total control. Being in the minority party, one of the problems is we... I have no idea what is coming up on Tuesday, let alone they said, okay, we adjourn till Tuesday. And I said, okay, what time? And they said, oh, no, we don't know. We'll let you know. Now, how do you not know what time we're meeting Tuesday? I mean, it's ridiculous. A lot of things should be should be done. One, they should monitor the time that we're in there, that we have bills. You know, I, I said something about having eight to eight, which would be 12 hours, kind of a sunlight law. We can't pass any bills or vote on anything in committee that's not during the daylight so that the public can see it. That would be one thing. I also think that every rep should get five bills a session that have to be called to vote on because you would have a lot of issues that would get passed if they could get called. But when you have a top-heavy system, they don't call the issues, even if they would get bipartisan support and pass. If you could switch that, just give an opportunity for every legislator to get five bills that have to be voted on. That would change a lot of things that would make a lot of good legislation, and I think it would do a lot to make the parties get along better. Representative Coffey is talking about the way things operate in the House. Correct. That may not necessarily be the way things operate in the Senate. Well, I don't know how it's operating in the Senate. When I'm talking very about the efficient. House, very official. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and quite honestly, we are the upper chamber. Yes, quite, on, quite honestly, I've heard that it is. I, there, I, they are much more open in the Senate than they are in the House. I mean, we, we're in the dark. It, but they do run late a lot. We've got that in common then. In fairness, when you talk about time and, and time management, there's a lot of things that go into timing in the chambers, and I'm sure that it's like that in the House too. Oftentimes when you're moving a piece of legislation, you're waiting for that legislation to go to committee. You have no control over how long committees run, and so you're waiting for a committee to adjourn so that that piece of legislation can come back to you. Oftentimes when you're working through a piece of legislation. You're waiting for people to meet and compromise on something, which is really a good thing. If you have a really good piece of legislation that you're working on, it's on 
the schedule to be called. There's some opposition and there's an opportunity for all of the advocates and those who are against the bill to get together and work through that. Then, you know, I'm, I'm willing to wait for that to happen in order for them to bring us back a good piece of legislation. Oftentimes, we're waiting for things to come over from the House and we can't move on a piece of legislation until it comes over from the House. So we have to wait for them to do what they need to do over there. And I'm quite sure there are times when they're waiting for the Senate to do things for it to come over. So making legislation is is not put the widgets in the hole kind of job. It's not something that happens on a nine to five kind of basis. There's a lot of moving parts. A lot of that has to come together. And when they put together the calendar, it's put together months in advance. You don't know how many bills are going to get called. The veto session schedule was put together when we adjourned in May. We were scheduled to be in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Well, the House finished their business. They left on, on Wednesday. The Senate still had business to conduct. We, we didn't do any business. We stayed until Thursday. More from an event you may have missed the Citizens Club of Springfield discussion with Senator Doris Turner and Representative Mike Coffey after this on NPR Illinois. Stay in touch with Community Voices and other news by subscribing to NPR Illinois Daily at nprillinois.org, a daily email newsletter that helps make sure you are in the know. Welcome back to Community Voices on 91.9 UIS. I'm co-host Randy Eccles. We are listening to an event you may have missed. This is the Citizens Club Forum featuring State Senator Doris Turner and State Representative Mike Coffey talking about the legislature and how it's impacting our area here in central Illinois. Let's find out more about how funds are brought back to the area. Here's moderator Joyce Narduli. Springfield wants to know what you're doing for Springfield, right? So let's talk about local economic development. There were a lot of appropriations in the FY24 budget, several of them for Springfield. I did a little research and there were a lot of appropriations for Springfield. Can you talk about some of the state money coming our way? We did have a lot of funding that came to Springfield and I think that's amazing. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud that I was able to work with my colleagues on both sides of the aisle and have that happen. So we brought, in terms of infrastructure projects, a Lutheran High had a problem and so I was able to bring back a million dollars for them to assist with that. I was able to bring back three million dollars to the city of Springfield for programs that were working with them with the police department with public safety. I was able to bring back a million and a half dollars for homelessness in the city of Springfield. Put together a package of about three million dollars funding opportunities that assisted about ten community-based organizations to move them along into 
in some of their projects. We were also able to bring back funding, help some housing starts because that's extremely important. Did some other things for District 186, a hodgepodge of things, some things around the rail in order to get that done. When we're moving things over to 10th Street, then we talk about what are we going to do with, with the 3rd Street. I worked with others and put together a working group to look at that, and so I was able to bring back an appropriation. $55 million. To, to help with that. There is a lot coming back to Springfield, and I think having legislators from this area to be strong advocates for it is, is extremely, extremely important. Senate leadership has been very helpful, those relationships, and working with Senate leadership, been able to do, I believe, been able to do a whole lot for the city of Springfield. One of the things that I'm the most excited about is the Tourism Improvement District. That was passed at a previous session through the help of Senator Turner and myself. Sangamon County can have a 20-year Tourism Improvement District, which cannot happen anywhere else in the state. It is dedicated to the Bank of Springfield Center, which I have been the chairman of since 2005. Our board has always had a commitment to an expansion of the Bank of Springfield Center, and this expansion would be strictly convention space so that we can take ourselves from a Tier 3 convention spot to a Tier 2 convention spot to help us better compete with Peoria. Because in the last budget, Peoria got $25 million directly to their center. This Tourism Improvement District, which we're still working on, it's passed, but it requires the Hotel Motel Lodging Association to be in support of. You need to get 51% of the room beds to approve that. Then it, you build a nonpartisan board of hoteliers that will be in charge of this. So this will not be anything. Once, once it's set up, it is something that will be in control of businesses to drive tourism business to Springfield and the surrounding area. That's something that I've been working on very hard. Mayor Kinsey, where are you? I hope you are still working on that. Uh, and uh, Scott Dahl with the city of Springfield and Senator Turner, we, we've had meetings. But because I'm the chairman of the convention center, I'm trying to push this very, very hard. And I think it's going to be a game changer. When you see what's going on in 9th Street, in that 9th Street corridor, the Bank of Springfield Center would take the county lot right across the street from the existing center. It would give us convention space all under one roof with two hotels. It would be a big, big boost to DSI. So I, I know the DSI director was here. I, I need you to get on there and start calling all the hoteliers to be supportive of it, making Sangamon County a tourism improvement district. There are a total of 78 Springfield references in the budget. And just one or two I want to tell you, 55 million for rail improvement, UIS library, 32.8 million, 10 million SIU School of Medicine to put a new Institute of Rural Health in Springfield. I want to talk about state jobs leaving Springfield. Our downtown used to be so full of state employees. Today, just a handful of them exist. What are each of you doing to retain state jobs and to bring more state jobs back to the city center? It's a big concern of mine, and actually we just had a meeting with the CMS the other day, and I, I put a big push on for keeping the jobs, especially in downtown Springfield, even though that's not technically my district. My district's a little further west. It's really important to keep the jobs here locally. This is the state capital, the home of Abraham Lincoln. We need to make sure that this is just a beautiful inner city that we can be very proud of. And that's that. it all goes in with the tourism and keeping the job. The thing that I'm worried about is we need to start having discussions about what we're spending money on. I'm really concerned about the fact that, I, and I've told people in our energy policy and our immigration policy, it's going to start to affect these things. I've talked to many of the uh, teaching organizations, and they were very happy. You know, all the community colleges have gotten more money. We've spent more money on education, which is absolutely fantastic. I want to do it. But when you get to the point where you're spending $1.5 billion in free health care for people that are not from this country or this state, we are going to start to have some financial problems in the state of Illinois. So I'm very concerned about that. We need
need to start shoring up our funds so that we can spend them on our citizens and we can continue to spend them on jobs and, and bringing people to work here. It's something that we've got to be very, very concerned about because if we don't, the budget's going to get out of control. We're no, no longer going to have the federal money coming in that we've had in the last few years. So we need to address these problems. We need to address them quickly. Hopefully the governor, he seems to have made some changes to bring that down, but at one point it was $1.5 billion. You know, that's, that's money that can go to a lot of things and a lot of jobs for the residents of Illinois. I remember when downtown was very vibrant and a lot of that had to do with all of these state agencies that, that were downtown and that has kind of moved away. I don't know if, being very honest, I don't know if that's ever going to come back. It, the way that we're doing work is very different than what it was then. We're doing a lot more work from home. We're doing a lot more shared shared office work. A lot of things that I just don't know if that's going to be what's going to happen. So what we have to do is start looking at how we transform and move to do something different to bring that vibrancy back downtown. That's one of the reasons why I have, when I talked about some of the funding things, is working very closely with DSI and providing them funding so that they can start looking at what that downtown looks like and how they move forward and how we bring more businesses downtown, how we bring more small business downtown. I really believe that small businesses are uh, the economic engine that drive most of our communities. We have to think a different thought and not always go back to what we used to do. That that's one of the ways that I have been really trying to work on that. The other thing is working with the administration on having jobs remain in Springfield and when possible bring those jobs back to Springfield. It doesn't necessarily mean that those jobs would be housed in a facility downtown, but it does mean that that would be more state employees in our community moving money around in our community, which I think is extremely important. When we look at, at our budgets, we are in a place in in our state finances now that we have not been in in a very, very, very long time. We were almost at junk bond status, and now we've had seven or eight upgrades, and we're in a better, better place. We have money in our rainy day fund, and I could go on and on about our, where we are financially right now. And I think that we have to just continue to do what we can to build on that, continue to bring more businesses into our state. Some of those have been in in the 48th district and I'm really proud I'm really proud of those. We have seen three international businesses just in the last fiscal year come into the 48th district in Decatur in Macon County. That's a big plus for our state. It's a big plus for our community and that's going to be a driver of of what our our budgets look like in the future. We have to look at some of the things that Representative Coffee mentioned with regard to immigrants and immigration health care. A lot of what happens has not been driven by Illinois. When the governor of Texas and the governor of Florida is just putting people on buses and just sending them willy-nilly throughout the United States and you end up with 40 or 50 of those buses in Chicago, there's not a whole lot you can do other than do what you can to take care of those individuals and protect your community. When you have people who need health care coming into your community, that is something that has to be dealt with to provide for the public safety of the entire community. When people come in, no matter where they land, they're not just going to stay there. They're going to move, they're going to navigate throughout that community and move out into other communities. There has to be some mechanism that you provide health care for those individuals. That's fine, but I haven't gone to the border, and it's, it's not the governor of Texas's fault. He's under siege down there. When you see on TV and you see the Eagle Pass, Texas, that's a town of 28,000 people. 50,000 people came across the border in two days. When you have states like ours that say, oh, 
that's no problem, and they, that's down in Texas. If it's not in your backyard, nobody cares about it. What he had to do is he had to send them to these other states so that it gets recognized as a humongous problem. It is a big problem. I go down there and I met with the five county sheriffs. The first thing they do is they tell you about their problem. These are small, small counties. Big counties by landmass, but small by population. If you have 50,000 people come across in your town of 28,000, their people can't go to the doctor. Their people can't go to the hospital. There are women that are going into labor. There's no room in the hospitals. There's no jail cells. They don't have the people and the capacity. So it would be nice if all the government, and I, and I think one of the things that I said is we should go down together, Republicans and Democrats, because when you see what's going on, it is unbelievable. If Governor Pritzker can't handle 150,000 people in the city of Chicago, how do you expect a town of 28,000 to handle 50,000 people? We've got far more money than they have. This is a national crisis, and it really what it comes down to, and when you go down there, they talk about it. It's about the drug cartels, and it's about moving fentanyl into this country. The Chinese are producing fentanyl. They've got to deal with the Mexican cartels to move this. Drug use in America has almost doubled. The more migrants they put in, the more people that can sneak drugs in, and that's really what it comes down to down there. So this is a national crisis that everybody has to be on board to go down there and fight this. So we have to, we have, every state needs to help Texas, Arizona, and these border states because it is a national crisis. I agree with Representative Coffey that it is a national crisis. We really need leadership at the federal level to move out of this paralysis that they've been in for several weeks and start looking at how we can work on this national crisis from a bipartisan basis. It's not doing any good for people to do this circular firing squad and keep saying it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. It's a problem and people are elected to work on problems in a bipartisan manner. It's not something that we in the Illinois General Assembly can figure out, have a solution to. It's a, it's a national problem that needs to start at the federal level. Hopefully we can again move all of the national paralysis we've been in and start working on that. Let's talk about the big problem in Illinois, which is our pension debt. Illinois has billions of dollars of pension debt, which limits our ability to spend on programs like you're talking about right now. You both represent represent districts that contain large numbers of current and retired state, local government, and school employees who participate in the pension systems. Are there realistic options that can reduce our pension debt while protecting the benefits of current and retired employees? This is an issue that has kind of followed me everywhere I've gone from county, city, and now state level. Pensions is a real, real issue, and it's one that I'm uh, very, very concerned about because I am a state retiree that gets a state pension. I definitely want to make sure on the 19th of every month I have money in the bank. It is one that we have been trying to deal with on a lot of different levels for a very long time. We will continue to work on it. I don't think that there is any silver bullet solution. It's going to take a lot of work from a lot of, on a lot of different levels. There's going to be some pain involved in it. I know not too long ago, we went to the tier two pension level. That was some pain. That was. We do want to continue to work and work on it. And I, I wish I had a solution. I'll be very honest and say that you know that I don't. But I know that we are trying to address it. If we don't get it under control, it's going to paralyze our state. That's money that is going to have to be paid out, and it's going to have to come from somewhere. Promises made should be promises kept. So if you've been promised a pension, you've like Doris has planned on it her entire life. We should make sure that everybody gets that pension. But it goes back to what I said. $1.5 billion to help illegals get free health care, where no, um, no citizen in Illinois gets that. 
but they get it. $5 billion in the last two years in fraudulent unemployment claims. Right there, there there's $3.5 billion a year you could put towards uh, securing our pensions. We've got to do a better job in sitting in the room. You know, I'm on public safety appropriations. Sat there, meeting after meeting after meeting. And then when it came time to go through the budget line by line and appropriate the money, the Republicans were shut out of that in the House. I'd love to be a part of it. There's things in the budget that can be cut. You're going to have to make the decisions, you know, what, what is most important to the citizens of the state of Illinois. We need to have a bipartisan support where we go through that. One thing that I notice when I go there, not one time, every meeting I have is we need more money, we need more money, we need more money, we need more money. Never one time does anybody sit there and talk about waste or what we're going to get rid of or cut and all that. It's a problem. Coming from the business sector, my whole life's been in the private sector, you know, going through COVID, thinking, hey, I could go bankrupt, worried about stuff. We need to be more conscious. And the, like our budget, like Senator Turner said, our budget's been better the last few years. It has been because of a lot of federal money. That federal money has bailed out a lot of our blue states. We should have saved it and put it towards more things instead of spending more. We need to cut our spending in a lot of areas, and we need to sit down as a group. This is not anybody, one person's fault, you know, so it's not like I'm sitting here. Doris didn't have anything to do with it. She wasn't there when this happened. A lot of this stuff happened 30 years ago. We need to, no cameras, no TVs, no pictures. Sit down as a group and say, hey, why can't we cut this, Senator Turner? Oh, Representative Cowley, why wouldn't you want to get rid of this? And in a room, and then come out with a proposal together. It goes back to what I was saying about the gerrymandering of districts is isolated because when you go to these chambers, they, they want you to get pictures, they want you to go to events like this, make sure you talk to this person and all that. We need to spend more time at work, sitting there together, maybe not in the open chamber where you can have real dialogue. So many of these bills come before you, I, like in my particular case in the House, it's a bill an hour ago. It gets dropped an hour ago. You don't really get any time to talk about it, unless they're big legislation like, you know, the investing kids everybody talks about. So you know that stuff's coming down the, the pike. The main budgetary stuff, you don't know. I mean, when you get a budget at 3 o'clock in the morning and it's this tall, how is somebody going to go through it? We need to, we need to, we need to make it a, a, a process where the budget comes through and you got a week to go through it. In the spring session, we did the budget very differently than it's ever been done before. The budget did not come down at 3 I know you guys always want to say the 3 o'clock in the morning. The budget came down, it was given out, and it sat on everybody's desk for two days. Two days. And everybody had a chance to go through it and, and then bring it back out for discussion. It was done very, very differently. It was The Senate handled it a lot differently than the House this year. The budget process is not simple, as explained by our representatives, Doris Turner and Mike Coffey. This is an event you may have missed, the Citizens Club of Springfield conversation with State Representative Mike Coffey and State Senator Doris Turner. More after this on NPR Illinois. Welcome back to Community Voices as we listen to an event you may have missed, the Citizens Club of Springfield conversation with State Senator Doris Turner and State Representative Mike Coffey. Right now, they're going to discuss the Safety Act. That's where there's no cash bail anymore. Here's moderator Joyce Narduli. We've all heard a lot about the Safety Act. No cash bail is now law in Illinois. 
how is it working out here in Sangamon County so far? What kind of pros and cons are you hearing? Do you think you'll see any tweaks to that law in the spring session? It's detrimental to law enforcement. I had a police roundtable with uh, sheriffs, city police chief. They're devastated. They're talking about police morale is down, that they're, they're going in and arresting people. They're out immediately to the point where they're thinking about, why do we even go through it? We have to tackle them, do different stuff. We get beat up. Things happen to us. We get shot at. It's detrimental to the morale of the police. I don't think that it, it should have been done. That's, that's for sure. I was not in the General Assembly when the Safety Act was passed. I know that some people think I was, but I wasn't. But it did become law, and it went through several different court processes, and it went into effect. There is a tremendous, tremendous amount of misinformation that still continues to circle around about the Safety Act. There is a process. People are not just, you don't just get arrested, and then, you know, you get automatically let out of jail. That's not true. There is a process that happens that an individual goes before a judge, and, and then you can talk about why you think he needs to stay, why you think he doesn't need to stay. There's a process that you go through. There are also different offenses that are not eligible to be put into the, the no cash belt box. There's a process that you have to go through. The other thing too is I would say that there are there were a lot of law enforcement officials that were that were very talked very negatively about the safety act or very much against it. Then once it became enacted, they have said that they've not had any problems with it. There hasn't been any problems. So I think that a lot of it is messaging. I actually had someone gave me some information ab about how it has been rolled out. And there were, I read newspaper articles from throughout Illinois talking about how it's working very well and, you know, and everything's, uh, and it's going well. Of course, there are going to be some instances where people have not had a good outcome about something that happens in every, that happens all the time. But I think by and far that from all indications that I've seen, it has been happening, it has been working extremely well. The incident in Springfield where the state a state policeman was shot. That was someone that was not in, in the system in our community. So, you know, we have to separate out things that are directly related to Safety Act and things that are not. So, again, there's a lot of misinformation that's floating around out there. Representative Coffey, you mentioned the Investing Kids Act a minute ago. Everyone wants good schools. And so for those who may not understand what all this talk is about the Invest in Kids Act, it's a program that allows a tax credit when individuals make donations for scholarships for private schools. It's set to sunset the end of this year unless the General Assembly takes action in the next two weeks. I understand a compromise proposal was offered this week to change the tax credit from 75% of the donation to 50% and to reduce the overall size of that program from 75 million to 50 million and to extend that deadline five more years. Now we know teachers unions are strongly opposed still believing the program takes money from public schools, but what do you think is going to happen and how do you think you might vote on a compromise if there is one brought forth? Well, I think that's one of those bills if it can get to the chamber would pass. But that's one of those bills that I'm talking about that I don't know. It, it'll, if it fails, it'll fail because it didn't get to the chamber. I co-sponsored two bills, one for 100% uh, tax deductibility and one to extend the existing program. I will vote yeah, yes if, if it comes, uh, comes through again, even the modified bill. I'd like it to be the other two bills that, that I'm co-sponsored on. I, I'll tell you what, ye yesterday or the, the day before, uh, the investing kids were at the Capitol and I looked at those kids and sharp, 
beautiful children coming there. They look great. They very respectful, very sweet. My big worry is if you if you're part of the program now, and you're going to a school and we cut that off, now you're going to have to switch schools. I talked to many of them. They said St. Pat's will close here. They're talking about a school indicator that would close if this uh, Investing Kids Act doesn't pass. So uh, I, I think, and I don't think it takes money from the schools. Schools are, are funded by property taxes. This, this would affect our income tax. I think it has a null benefit, and I think you should give every kid the best opportunity for an education and, and be able to go to school wherever they want. I understand that there is, is a uh, compromise bill that was uh, introduced in the House. I have not seen it. I just have seen the report about what's in the bill. Uh, I know that there is a lot of conversation about it. I think that what has been proposed in that bill, people are saying that's a good place to start. I know that there's some other individuals that would like to see some guardrails attached to it so that, because I've had proponents of the, of investing kids come to me and talk about it. I've had opponents of investing kids come to me and talk about it. So what the opponents feel very strongly about is the public dollars going to private schools. That's the first thing. The second thing that they talk about is that there are exclusions for kids that cannot go to uh, schools that public dollars are going to. And then the other thing is that there are requirements on public schools that are not on private schools, but they would be receiving public money. So there's a lot to wrap your to wrap your head around this. I don't think it's not just either or. I would really want to see what's gonna what's gonna come out of the House and come over to the Senate. I don't think you can say, yes, I'm gonna support this without even knowing what it is that's that's gonna come out. As Representative Coffey said, there's there's still a lot of conversation and a lot of, of uh, debate around it. So Hopefully, we'll see something come out and, ma and make its way over to the Senate that we can then caucus about and, and talk about. I think that each of the chambers is very divided on it. You have people that are strong proponents of it. You have people that, that are not, and then you have people that are kind of, you know, in the middle waiting to see what's going to happen and, and what's going what's gonna to come out. As I said, when I began this, I'm a very, very strong proponent of education. I'll be very honest, a strong proponent of public education. I feel like public education is the only place where they have to take everybody and they have to keep them until they're 18, no matter what happens. Even if they are excluded from a, a regular public school, they go to an alternative school, the public district, school district, has to still support that financially. Kids that need help through an e, uh, IEP, that has to be that has to be supported by public dollars. No matter where that child is, that has to be supported by public dollars. So there's a lot to wrap. You know, there's a lot to wrap your head around, and uh, I'm really interested to see what makes it way out of the house. There is no bill in the Senate. So there's nothing for me to talk about with regard to a Senate bill. So I'm really interested to see what makes this way out of the House. I have so many more questions. I'm just going to ask one more, though, and then turn it over to the public to ask questions before we finish. So my last question is about the gun violence that you just mentioned with the police officer just being shot. And in Illinois, we've instituted an assault weapon ban. We've enacted registration laws, waiting periods for purchase. Do you think we've done enough? to protect our citizens from gun violence, or have we done too much? What would you still like to see regarding guns in our state? 
Representative Coffey? It's not the guns that are killing people. It's, it's people that do it. There's bad people everywhere that do really bad things. And, you know, I, we really need to focus probably more on mental health. As you see, the shooter in Maine, he, he was just with a psychiatrist. They, they, knew, they knew he had problems and all that. So I, 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 I'm not for restricting, you know, guns. So I'm, I'm a pro-Second Amendment person. I think as you look and see uh, what, what's just gone on in Israel, what was the first thing they did? They passed out guns to the citizens. Uh, and I personally think the Second Amendment is what really protects the United States of America uh, from, from tyranny. And uh, so I'm not for the restriction of guns at all. I, I think we need to increase our mental health because the majority of the times these people have got something wrong with them and uh, we need to take it from that approach. I think that we have enacted a number of different, a number of different laws uh, and people still find their way to get, people who should not have guns still find their way of getting guns and, and creating harm and mayhem. I think that we do need to look at how we, how we keep guns out of the hands of people who should not have them. That's, that's something that we have to continue to look at, have to continue to work on. I do think that we do, when you talk about mental health, mental health is, we are in a mental health crisis and it's something that, that weaves its way through almost everything that we talk about. We talk about mental health with regard to gun violence. We talk about mental health with regard to homelessness. We, all of our ills of our society, we talk about this thread of mental health that runs through that. Uh, so we do have to look at how we treat mental health in our, in our society and the amount of funding that we put to it and how, how we see it in the, in the hierarchy of things. But I do think that we have to work on keeping uh, weapons out of the hands of people who should not have them. Let's get to the audience. Are there any questions out there? Thank you, Joyce. Uh, if you would give your name, please, if you have a question. Can we not accept questions from former press? <laughs> I was just going to... Well, good morning. Bipartisanship, we don't... <laughs> so, uh, congratulations to both of you on your positions, and I am represented by both of you, so thank you. Um, I am getting more mail from you, Representative Coffey, than from uh, the Senator. Um, yesterday, I got in the mail a back the badge, sign this petition to back the police. It's paid for by the state. You put out uh, 27,340 copies. I also earlier got an, an invitation in a, in a sealed envelope with a letter inside to sign up for uh, home energy assistance. Uh, that, you know, postage was sent and you sent it to your neighbors in Terre Hill and I don't think we qualify, most of us, in your neighborhood for this kind of assistance. So how much are you spending on these? And as a fiscal conservative, why are you sending these out with your picture on them? Well, <laughs> because I, you know, because I want you to see how cute I am, Bernie, I, you know. Uh, well, one, I send out a bunch of different mailers, a bunch of things uh, that can concern constituents. And one of the things when you send those out, while you don't need energy assistance, there are people in the district that do. So you can't, I can't target just Terra Hill. I only want to get Terra Hill. You, it has to be a broad section when it's coming from your office. So that's, that's why you who doesn't need uh, energy assistance got that. Um, but it did go to people that have energy assistance 
assistance, so you can't you can't micro target your stuff. Back the blue. I, I'll tell you what, it, it's a big deal. We need to back the blue. They're under siege. They're uh, we can't. We have a recruitment problem all across the country. Uh, I, I think everybody wants police, and you know, bad things happen sometimes. But we have to let them know that we're behind them 100%. That was the, well. I can look. Yeah, I know how much it costs. I, but each individual mailing, I've I've sent out about 10, 11 of them, so I can't tell you exactly how much on that mailing. But that comes out of a budget. Everybody gets to spend their budget on. I choose to spend mine uh, on notifying my constituents of what's going on. Uh, and I can have one person working for me, and so therefore I spend the rest of them on constituent uh, interaction. So, over on this side of the hall, Cinda Klickna. I could talk about education or pensions, but so you'll be surprised at my question. <laughs> um, you talked about having more tourism and adding to the center. I think that's great. What can we do, or what can you do? to help us have a viable airport with actual service. Ooh, they want an airport with viable service. Well, what, and, and I'll tell you, you have to have demand. Demand drives everything. See, everybody wants you to put in, hey, let's put a new restaurant downtown, let's do this, let's do that, let's that. You gotta have demand, you gotta create demand. So a new convention center will start the process of creating demand. And if you don't have demand, you can't, you can't get these things. So I, I think that's, that will help. Because if you get a facility that you start having conventions every week and there's people from all over the country or all over the state coming, it, it will absolutely help you. The, the problem is, is we don't have the ridership. So we get flights and then people don't ride them and therefore they go away because everything's about money. It's a profit and loss. If they're going to lose money, they're not going to come here. So you have to drive demand, and, and that's the biggest, biggest thing. You've got to drive demand. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we have had several come in, but we can't keep them because people just don't use the ridership. The other thing, though, we are doing out at the airport and is it's really a, becoming a very uh, – energetic place, you know, we're, we're working with um, SIU to bring in a, uh, um, a new pilot program, and so that's going to be coming up soon. So it's, there's a lot going on out there, just not in the, in the arena that you're interested in. But there is a lot going on out at the, out at the airport. Last quick question, quick question and quick answer. Hi, uh, Bob Immel. Uh, I'm excited you mentioned about, uh, I'm sorry, you mentioned about um, bringing jobs, state jobs back to Springfield, and I'm excited to see that they're uh, doing the uh, remodeling of the former armory and the construction of the uh, new parking garage in the north wing of the state capitol. What other um, construction or improvement projects do you foresee with the Capitol complex, especially um, replacing the Stratton office building? That's really interesting. All of the uh, construction that you see going on is a result of the Capitol, Capitol bill that was passed uh, a few years ago. And that is, um, that has really done a lot to help uh, Springfield and the local economy because, you know, we, it's almost 100% work for our construction trades, and it's going to be um, amazing. And then you're right, when we finish with all of that construction, that's going to be people that are going to be working in those in those buildings that are going to add to the downtown um, 
to the downtown economy. So th th that's the Stratton building is like the next phase of what's supposed to be happening. I'm not sure, you know, how long that's going to take and what's that going to look like. But someone has said that we could really make a lot of money if we sold lottery tickets for a person that wanted to push the button to blow it up. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's Community Voices, featuring State Senator Doris Turner and State Representative Mike Coffey discussing how the legislative process is affecting our area here in Central Illinois and Springfield. Thank you to the Citizens Club of Springfield and to the City of Springfield for providing the audio. Also to moderator Joyce Narduli and host Kent Redfield.